All right, Pastor Chris, you bring the word. All right, Luke chapter 14. If you'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, we are in the parables of kingdom secrets found in the gospel of Luke. Um, And this will be chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. We'll reference the first verses of the chapter as well, but these are the verses I'll read from starting in verse 15. So I'll read it and we'll get into the meat of it. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. For the, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. And I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Luke records at the beginning of this chapter, verse 1, just um, on that on a Sabbath day, um, beginning in verse 1, he had recorded that on a Sabbath day, Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Um, And it was kind of a a big feast, a big party, and uh, seeing a crippled man among them who had dropsy, a kind of edema or swelling that cripples, uh, he brought the man before everyone there, And he asked the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So basically, is is it lawful if I heal this man right here, right now, on the Sabbath day? All were silent. Staring at the crippled man and Jesus, no one replied with a word. No one spoke up. No one had an answer. And Luke records that In that moment, Jesus took the man and he healed him and he sent him away. Then he turned to his onlookers and challenged their kind of tongue-tied religiosity by asking, which one of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? As if to say, how can you sit there silent? How can you not say, yes, Heal that man. How have you so twisted the Sabbath day to where it would not allow for the healing hand of God to work in a man's life on the day of healing and rest? And so to confront their religion, Jesus decided to teach all at the party by way 
of parables. He told three. Ours, the one we just read, is the third one, which we'll get into, but it helps us to understand our parable by understanding what led up to it. Our passage actually said, whenever he heard these things. Well, the two parables prior are these things, so we need to look at this. The first parable he taught, verses 7 through 11, it was aimed at all the guests in the room. So Jesus watched all the guests come in, they show up, and what he saw is that they're all scurrying about to get the best seat. Everybody wants to sit next to the important people so they can be important. Everybody's angling for honor. And his parable taught that instead of seeking honor through taking the best seats, they should instead seek honor by giving the best seats to others, by honoring others. He didn't reprimand them for seeking honor. He didn't say that that's wrong. He doesn't hold up as a, honor as a bad thing to be sought after. What he reprimands is seeking honor at the expense of others. By seeking to honor themselves, they were at the same time seeking to humble others. But the Bible says to humble yourself and honor others. For everyone, verse 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So that's his first parable. He's talking all the people that came to the party. The second parable he taught, verses 12 through 14, was aimed at the host of the party. So again, looking around the room, he sees all the guests in the room, and what he sees is all the who's who's. He sees all the haves, and he says to the host that next time you put together your guest list, Don't fill the room with the distinguished, with those who can scratch your back because I scratch yours, right? With those who can swap deals for you. Don't make a a self-serving guest list to throw a self-serving party. No, he says that instead, as the one who has ability to feed and care for many, use your resources not to serve yourself, but to serve others, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who can't do a thing back for you. As in, invite that crippled man that you just saw before you. That's who you should invite to your party. Use your resources to do good to others and not for yourself. So he's created a contrast. He's created a whole different feast he's just described. And this feast is given for the purpose of serving and honoring others for their good. Very different than the feast he's at. And again, he doesn't have a problem with seeking a reward. He says to serve others in this way and you will be blessed. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So his problem is not that they're seeking to, to get from their giving. His problem is who they're seeking to get from. They're the people of God living for the applause and the rewards of man. And so... This party that Jesus came to, it's all the proof that Jesus needed, that these people are lost. The saving grace and love and undeserved mercy of God that they have been shown that should characterize their lives, it's nowhere to be found. And so now that Jesus has offended everyone in the room, we come to our passage. We come to the third parable. And so with likely an awkward silence filling the air, right? I mean party pooper kind of deal, right? There's likely an awkward silence filling the air. One of the guests reclining at table with him decides to break the silence. 
verse 15. It's like he's raising a toast. And he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So picture that. Think about that. He's just described a totally different feast than the one that they're at. He's just turned their religion upside down. Everybody in the room is likely kind of looking left and right, pondering what he just said, and as though the man is trying to gloss over it all and maybe make himself and everyone else feel better. Come on, let's move along here. He says, cheers to us, the blessed. Won't that be a great day for us all? And so, in love, Jesus describes another feast. He gives another parable to teach the man and the rest of the dinner guest about true salvation, about who the blessed truly are, so that they might come away from this man-centered table they have set, from this man-made religion they have created, and experience true life, true salvation, true blessing in him. That's what this parable is about. I mean, think about this. Is Jesus really concerned about which side of the plate the fork goes on? Dinner etiquette? Does he really care about who's next to who? Is this whole chapter about that? No, you... You see, while the imagery of the great banquet, it was certainly relevant to the setting that they were at, um, the great banquet, a big feast, it's not a neutral concept in the minds of his hearers. This room is full of people who know the scriptures well, and all would know the passage from Isaiah that prophesied of this great feast and what it was really about. Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 9, I'll read them. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. You picture it? And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. And hear the transition here. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. What's this great feast about that they're thinking of? It's about salvation. Jesus isn't concerned with who's sitting next to who. He came to seek and save the lost. And that's what this parable is about. This parable is about salvation. Life in his name and everyone in the room, they've got it all wrong. They think they're in and others are out and that they have a guaranteed place at the table. And so Jesus offers this parable both as a warning to come out of that hollow feast and as an invitation to come to him to eat of the true bread and the true drink that will not leave them wanting, that will satisfy them. And what they needed to believe and what we need to believe today is that Jesus alone. Jesus is the fulfillment of all God has for us. He is the fulfillment of God's plan for salvation. All that they were waiting for as the people of God, all they were longing for, all that they desperately needed, it is fulfilled, it is filled up 
in Jesus. And that's what I hope you will believe today, that you will gather all your wants and all your desires and all your needs that we so often look in all these places of life to find, and you will come to the Lord Jesus because all God has for you, it is found in him. The fullness of your salvation, the full measure of your salvation and the enjoyment of it is found in Jesus. And through this parable, Jesus gives us three characteristics about this salvation in him so that those who hear might repent, turn away, come and be filled and have life in his name. So three characteristics. First, Jesus is God's only plan for salvation. That's the key word, only. So when a feast of this size was held, much planning and preparation and sacrifice went into getting this kind of feast ready. You had to know how much food to prepare and how many places to set and how many servants to have on hand. And so in preparation to make it ready, you would send out an initial invite. This is just like you getting ready for a party and you're going to get an RSVP list going, right? So if you receive this invitation and you want to come, you RSVP, yes, I'll be there. And this is apparently what the master of the feast had done to prepare his feast. It says he sent out his invites, and later, when he got everything ready, he sent his servant to go and tell the guest, verse 17, come, for everything is now ready. And again, with salvation in view, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the chosen people of God, the Israelites. They were the ones God sent his initial invitation to, the ones he first did his first saving work among. They were a people of the promise. And what were they waiting for? They were waiting on God to come and save them. They were waiting on the Messiah. They were waiting on him to send the Savior so they could finally come to him and enjoy the rich feast of his salvation that he had promised them. And now that God had spared no expense in preparing his great feast of salvation, he sent his own son as the servant to die on a cross and pay the price for their sins to make the sacrifice ready so that any who come to him by faith might have life in his name and might be filled up in him. When he finally came, when the servant came and said, it's ready, now is the time, the feast is ready, salvation has come, what did they do? They rejected him. They just, they didn't come. And what Jesus was trying to tell them was that this is what you've been waiting for. I am what you've been waiting for. The salvation you have longed for, that your your parents and your grandparents and all have told you about, all of it has been pointing to me. I'm here. There's not another invite coming. There's not another party. There's not another way. There's no other feast that's going to happen. If you don't come to this one, if you don't come to Jesus, you will miss the enjoyment of God's salvation altogether. That's the warning he's giving. Verse 24, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The danger for them is the danger for us. You can hear this offer all your life and you can think it'll be fine. You can thank you. I'll just come to the next one. You you can live a life of faith in Jesus, supposedly, saying tomorrow every single day of your life. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll come tomorrow. I'll do it the next day. Friends, Jesus, the it's God, He's God's only plan for salvation. 
He is the sacrifice given to pay for your sins and bring you into the presence of God. He's the bread of life. He's the true drink that will satisfy your soul and you may not have tomorrow. And because he is the only way, not anything you do or bring, he's the only way. There's nothing you need to bring to come to this feast. Isn't that what we do when someone invites us to dinner? If I get an invite to dinner and I say yes, and I tell Summer about it, my wife, first thing she asks me, what's the first thing that, the first question she's going to ask me? What can we bring? Right? That's what you do. You want to be polite. What can we bring? Friends, you can't bring anything to this feast. This is not a potluck. This isn't something that that you need to stir up a little something to, to get yourself on the list. The feast is ready. The sacrifice has been made. The table is set. The bill is already paid for. All you have to do is believe it and come. And that is the only way you can come. Jesus is God's only plan for salvation. And that's the first characteristic we learn from this parable. Second, following Jesus must be the greatest priority of all of life. When the host of the great feast sent his servant to go and tell everyone to come, for everything is now ready. What happened? Verse 18, they all began to make excuses. The first one says, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. I got to take care of my stuff. I know I could do it in another day, but I just have to go do this today. I got to go see my field. Please have me excused. The second one says, verse 19, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. A man buying five yoke of oxen would be a wealthy man in this day, a successful man. And this is his work, farming, livestock. And so now when the invitation comes, he's gotten so busy with work, uh, he says, I just got to go, I got to go back to work. I got to go check on my work. Please have me excused. The third one says, I've married a wife. Have a relationship to attend to. This this guest doesn't even offer the gesture, please have me excused. He simply says, I can't come. So back up on these a little bit, because maybe you, it may seem a little removed, because we don't have oxen around us too much today. But what is it that he's saying actually keeps people from coming and, and enjoying all that God has for them in Jesus? It's the everyday stuff of life. It's work. It's relationships, who I love, who loves me. It's stuff. These are the very things that keep us from coming to enjoy all that God has for us in Jesus. What I own, what I do, who I care about, who cares about me. Not all, none of them bad things. All of them very good things. You know, as a pastor... Um, I've watched something that's been troubling over the years, and honestly, I've watched it in me. So I'm not just speaking to you. I'm confessing with you. We're all prone to it. I've had people ask me to pray for them for their various needs in life, pray that they would get a job or that their work would work out or that they would have children or that the Lord would give them a spouse and all great things, all great gifts from the Lord. And I'm grateful to pray for these things. And I love seeing the Lord work and answer prayers and give good gifts. Uh, He's the one who does that. But the troubling thing is this. Sometimes the very things we pray for end up being the very things we offer back to God as the reason we simply don't have time anymore for him. The gifts of God 
that he gives us end up being the very reasons that I just can't. I'm sorry. My business has become so successful that I don't have time for that. I can't. I just can't. I'm sorry. My kids' schedules are so crazy. I just can't commit anything else. My house. I've just got too much to do around the house. So I'll I'll have to next time. I'll be there next time. I promise. We would never say or even think for a moment that we're putting God off and certainly not salvation. But that's the, that's the gravity of the point that Jesus is making here. And this, again, this isn't just the person sitting behind you or next to you. I don't say this as this, I've just watched it in you. I've watched it in me. As God fills our lives and, and answers our prayers and gives us good things with blessings, as we call them, we're prone to allow these blessings to so fill our schedules that we, don't, we simply don't have time for everything anymore. And what we do is we say, well, something's got to give. And what we often look to give up first is God. But Luke records Jesus asking a very pointed question. In Luke 8, 36, what does it profit a man? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Friends, this is a good question for us to ponder We are blessed people. We got roofs over our head and children and many. God has been good to us. But what does all of that gain profit us if, in the end, by gaining it, we give up that which matters most? The answer nothing. Because, in the end, we end end up losing it all then. And that's exactly what the invited guests were doing. Good things they had gained were the very things keeping them from coming to God to receive all that he was waiting and set the table to give them. And notice, he doesn't, he doesn't demean any of these things. He didn't say, don't work, don't get a wife, don't get any stuff. He didn't say any of that. There's nothing wrong with these things. On the contrary, these are gifts from God. He gave us work and land and relationships and stuff as a means to glorify him through the enjoyment of them. Jesus doesn't demean these things. What he does is he shows their priority in relation to God. He says that if these things are what you're choosing, not in your confession. Remember, everybody said they were coming to the party, right? He's not talking about just what they say. He's talking about what they do, about living. When it comes down to it, if these things are what you're choosing in the day-to-day rhythms of life, if they're keeping you from coming to God to follow him today, the point that Jesus is making is that you're saying no to God. You're missing out on all that God has for you in Jesus, and the danger is that you can miss salvation altogether. Luke 9, 23 through 25, you've likely heard these verses. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, you want to hold it back, save it, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll save it, he'll find it, he'll get it, he'll enjoy it. A life of following Jesus is daily choosing to follow him as the greatest priority in all of life. The one thing that is prior, that's what that word is, the prior thing to all other things. And Jesus doesn't give us a different way of following him. 
And what's so difficult about this is you don't get to set your priorities once and then forget it. You remember those, the, uh, we have one of the rotisseries, the Ronco rotisseries? Remember what the little slogan that goes with it? What is it? Set it and forget it, baby. Just hit the buttons and walk away. You don't get to do that with your faith in Jesus. Because every day there's something competing. There's something saying, you need this to be the most important thing. This is what you got to do. You have to choose every single day when your feet hit the floor, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And trusting that all the other things that we're so prone to run after will be added to you or not as God, the gracious host, sees fit. Friends, what does your life say matters most to you today? Not what does your mouth say, what does your life say? Are there any blessings that God has given you that have really, they're looking a little more like curses because they're keeping you from coming to Him and enjoy that which matters most? Following Jesus is making Him prior the greatest priority in life every single day. So he's the only way God saves and making him prior to all else is the only way Jesus says you can come. Third, God's plan for salvation is certain for all who come. We'll break this apart a little bit. So in light of the excuses that the host receives, He does not cancel or postpone the great feast. He doesn't put it off to the surprise of those listening listening to the parable. The master tells his servant to go out and find others. Verse 21, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. You know, in their day and time, the crippled and lame roaming the streets, um, they weren't allowed to take part in Jewish ceremonies. They were often not invited to the great feast. You'd find them outside, be it at the temple or a party, because they weren't welcome within. Uh, Many believed that they were crippled or blind because of their sin, because they were simply unclean. And so going out even further, so going out to the highways and hedges, that's the outskirts of the city where you don't go because it's dangerous and there's, there's beggars and thieves and all that out there. That's even more appalling. These were people who were not really even welcome to come into the city, much less a great and honorable feast such as this. But nonetheless, the master of the feast says, that's where I want you to go. Go Go to all these places and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And so there's a few things we need to see in this. I said we'd break it apart. First, no one is too far gone. No one is too far for the mighty hand of God to reach out and save. Despite the belief of many that he was talking to in this parable, that only those who lived a certain way or dressed a certain way or did certain things, only they were worthy to come and sit at this table. When, when the host invited the riffraff of society to come, Jesus made it clear that the invitation to come to this feast has no credentials required. There's nobody you got to know to get in the door except the host. There's nothing you have to bring but yourself. There's nothing you could have done in the past 
There's nothing you could have done in the past that would keep you out. In fact, there is nothing you can do to get you in. There is no one too far. There is no one that the master of the feast will turn away to come to this feast to enjoy salvation in Jesus. All one has to do is hear the invitation, believe it's for you, it's not a joke. It's not too good to be true, but it is good news. That's the gospel. And turn to him and place your faith in him and sit at the table of salvation. Be saved. Know the salvation of God. There is no one that the mighty hand of God cannot or will not save. There's no one too far gone. Second, this isn't just a courtesy invite. You know the ones. You know what I mean? When you invite someone and you are just hoping they don't say yes. You're invited them because they're kind of like related to Aunt Sherry. And if you know, the whole family's going to think you're a horrible person and all that stuff. The host isn't inviting people as a courtesy, hoping they don't show up. Hoping that he really doesn't have to deal with their mess. No, look what he says. When, the servant, when he sends the servant to the farthest corners of the city to find the worst of sinners, to find the riffraff of society who have, who have nothing to add to them, they're just going to bring problems. What does he tell his servant to do? Compel them to come in. Like, use a little pressure. Use a little force. Get them in this house that this house may be filled. Friends, God wants you to come more than you want to come. He wants you to be saved more than you want to be saved. The party is his idea. He sent Jesus for you. That was his idea because he loves you. He wants to sit at the table with you and have a relationship with you. He is compelling you today through his word and by his spirit to come. This is not just a courtesy invite. And the third and final part of this third point is the feast he is inviting you to is certain. God's plan for salvation is sure. It is certain. Every last detail will be fulfilled. If we're, be honest with me. I mean, you don't have to like talk back to me right now, but have you, ever be, have you ever doubted what you believe? Like, I'm talking about the whole thing. Like, have you ever just thought, am I nuts? Like, this is crazy. I have some friends that tell me I'm nuts for believing all this and doing all this and giving your money and your time and you, you do that for a living now. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever just thought, am I crazy for believing all this? You ever wonder if you're going to get, you're going you're to spend your whole life this and you're going to get to the end and there's just nothing there? The point Jesus is making here in the story is that this feast and all you're putting your hope in, all you're packing your bags for to come on this, to come to this feast, it is certain it will be there. You will enjoy it. You will sit at that table. God's plan of salvation is certain. He will not change his mind. He will not change his plans. There will not be a delay. Despite our doubts, he'll be there when we show up. His servant has been sent. The sacrifice has been made. The table's been set. The invitations have gone, at, gone out. His house, he's saying it, my house will be filled. The feast is certain and salvation is certain for all who's come. So again, he's giving you a compelling reason to come. And what remains, okay? What remains is a response to the invitation. What remains for you is to respond. 
Will you come? Will you sit with him? Will you walk with him? Will you enjoy the table of salvation with him in Jesus? So what is your response to him? What's been holding you back? What's been occupying you a little more? What have you been holding on to? What, what will you do with God's invitation to you today to come? You know, the scary thing about this parable is that many who think they will sit at God's table, they're a shoe in, they won't be there. Many who think they're the blessed and they'll eat bread in the kingdom of God and they'll raise their glass to that toast, they won't be there. They say they're all in, they've accepted the invite, they tell everyone they're on the guest list, but when it comes down to it, everything else is just more urgent. Everything else just happens to take their time and ultimately their life. And the danger is not that they're missing a meal the dangers that they're missing salvation, and that's the danger for us. This, this, is a gr- this passage has some gravity to it. The dangers that we might have said yes, but when you look at our lives like others on the guest list, we've, guest list, we've so busied ourselves with everything else that we simply don't have time for that which matters most. You know, the good thing is today is a new day. Like today is a new day. No matter what you've been doing with it, no matter where God's word finds you today, no matter what's behind you, Jesus gave this, he gave this parable not to just set people in their place, not to condemn them, but to compel them. Jesus came, this parable is an invitation for you to believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan for salvation. It's an invitation to come to him, follow him, find life, get your belly filled up in a way that will not leave you wanting. The man raised his glass and said, blessed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus' answer was that. said, no, I'm going to tell you who the blessed are. The blessed are those who hear this invite, and they come. They find life in him. Let's pray.